This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, until last night, I considered myself a big fan of jazz, the Utah Jazz. Since Donovan Mitchell's there, having grown up a Mets fan and his dad works for the Mets, I enjoy jazz music. I liked DJ Jazzy Jeff when I was in my 20s. I don't even mind jazz hands, like Dwight Schrute had to do on The Office at one time when he owed Jim Halpert a solid. But Jazz Chisholm, the Marlins' 23-year-old second baseman, pulverized a home run late to beat the Mets on Wednesday night, and I'm officially changing my thoughts on this subject. A review of the game and the state of the state is next. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scootily down. So last night, the anniversary of the Black Cat game, 9-9-69. Tom Seaver pitched a complete game, one-run gem that led the Miracle Mets to a win over Fergie Jenkins and the Cubs. And the star of that night for a while was a cool-looking cat who scampered all around Shea Stadium. Open casting call for the cat 52 years later. I nominate Javi Baez. He, too, was a cool cat who scampered all around. He scored on a wild pitch. He stole a base, hit a long home run. It was not enough. Josh Lewin with you. 9-9. That's what I was saying in German. As Jazz Chisholm went upper tank against Jairus Familia. The Mets had a win in their sights Wednesday night. They had led 2-0 against a team that's playing more rookies and veterans. Been out of the race since July. But the Mets lost another one-run nail-biter. The final was 3-2. They are now five games out of first place. On the plus side, I'm trying to find plus side here. I do want to talk about Baez, from whom we will hear in just a bit. This was a game where El Mago quickly showed he was the best player in the ballpark. And that's kind of what you'll love about Baez, despite some things. Despite the second worst OBP in baseball the last couple years of any everyday player. Despite the 9.5 to 1 rate of strikeouts to walks. To me, Baez is an exercise in how you see the world. Do you dote on those things I just mentioned? Because they are facts and they do exist. Or do you appreciate the wizardry and the supercharged baseball brain that always seems one step ahead of the pack? I will personalize this. I look in the mirror. I see either a short guy with a bald spot who can't change a light bulb without sending out for the Coast Guard or the Marines. Or I see a guy who's trying hard to do a nice little podcast, has a couple cool jobs and a healthy family and dazzling chocolate chip-colored brown eyes. (laughs) Yeah. So, how do you see Baez? Not to get too weird about it, but I do think it depends on how you see yourself. Are you a negative person? You will kick and scream about Baez chasing sliders in the dirt. Are you a positive kind of person? Are you Ted Lasso? If so, uh, you see that Baez and Fernando Tatis Jr. are the only two National League players who will be 30 homer 15 steals guys this season. And yeah, those are also the two guys who will lead the National League in errors, but those are the couple of guys who will each make three or four plays a week that you'll be glad you were there to see in person. 
It was Baez scoring on a wild pitch and his 430-foot home run to center that had the Mets up 2-0 for a while. But after it was 2-1 and Marcus Stroman pitching very well yet again, bottom of the seventh, Brad Hand, the former Marlin, throws away a comebacker with two outs, allowing a run to score, game tied 2-2. Top of the eighth, Mets get a leadoff triple from the Polar Bear. Everyone before the season have Alonzo as a team leader in triples. Liar, he did not. That's three of them for Alonzo. The record for the Mets in terms of a first baseman in a single season, Dave Magadan had six triples back in 1990. Anyway, somehow the Mets follow the Alonzo leadoff triple with three straight grounders right at somebody from Baez, Davis, and McNeil, who was pinch hitting. Alonzo stranded at third, and you just had a bad feeling. The Marlins bullpen at that point for September, one run in 24 innings, a 0.39 ERA. And that's what set things up for the Nassau-Bahamas native Jazz Chisholm. Homer into the upper tank earlier this year against DeGrom. Now he can add Jarrah's Familia to the list of victims. 440 feet. And when the Mets went down meekly in the ninth, that was that. 70 and 71. Somehow the Mets in their last 13 one-run games are 1-12. That is not going to get the package to its destination, if we can put this in terms of Amazon Prime. After the game, Javi Baez talked to the media on Zoom. Javi, you know, obviously you're a guy that, that in general pushes the pace and, and tries to make things happen. But, you know, especially the way that, that you were playing tonight personally, just how much responsibility are you kind of putting on yourself to try and make something happen here as, as the team, you know, still gets, is stuck in this rut right now? Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, um, most of the time when, when I get on base, you know, they, they kind of pay attention to me. Um, you know, I just I just keep my head up and see see what their plan is. Um, you know, um, we scored we scored two runs today. One it was one on, on the white pitch. <clears throat> you know, we just gotta get them them runs in. You know, like on the on the on the late in the game. Um, you know, pick hit the triple and we could we could get them in. So uh, we just gotta do those those little things um, to make it happen. You know, I know you guys as a group have talked, uh, you know, even before you got here, just about keeping it in perspective one day at a time and, and you know, keeping a positive attitude with with the situation, what it is now, and, um, you know, the, the urgency behind each and every game. How difficult is that to, to not let these losses kind of, I guess, snowball one day into the next? Yeah, I mean... The only thing I got, you just gotta come back the next day and try it again, you know. Um, that's 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 when I go back to day by day by day and, and pitch by pitch. Um, you know, we gotta control what we what we can control, and, and you know, I think I think we just we're doing better. We're playing we're playing good baseball right now, and, and you know, we'll see we'll see what happens this this next week. Just to follow up on that, I mean, you say you're doing better. What do you guys think, or what do you think you're doing better as a group, and and you know, why do you think that, that you're playing good baseball right now, even though the results were you know, pretty average on this road trip? I think I think we we've seen the ball better. You know, we like I said, we 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 were trying like really hard. The 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 way I see it, um, you know, we just gotta slow the game down and, and see like see see a pitch by pitch like not not to speed it up. You know, not not to not to get resource. In, in, in one in one pitch, you know, like we we we, we gotta see pitches and, and, and see see how they, the way they, they, they pitch to us and, and make make our, our adjustments. Justin Descano, your line's open. 
Hey, Javi, do you do you guys ever worry that it just might be getting too late in terms of climbing back up the standings? Yeah, yeah, for sure, you know. But like, like I said, that's that's something that that we can control. You know, we we, we just gotta go up, go out there and play hard and compete. See see what the what the other teams do and 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 how and see how how we do this this next week or or, or whatever. And then to follow up on what you said to Steve earlier, uh, in that inning with Alonzo tripling, why do you think, what did you see in the at-bats from you guys? Why do you think you guys weren't able to, to push him across? Well, um, to me, I was, I, I hit the ball pretty good, pretty hard, but just, just straight down. Um, obviously he wasn't, he wasn't, um, on, on contact there because we, we weren't, we, we wouldn't need to, you know, um, but like, like I say, he's, he, he just went, he just went their way and, and in the A, you know, they, they got their pitch and, and, and they just, they just took the lead. And, and like I say, they, they, they had their chance actually on, on the white page that, that we, that we got them out at third, but you know, we got, we got out of the jam and, you know, it just, it just went on their way and, you know, things happen like that. No, it's an honest answer from Javi Baez. Final line score, Miami three runs, seven hits, no errors. The Mets two, four, and one. Yeah, four hits, suboptimal. The Mets did not lose ground to Philly, which is currently entertaining the Rockies. That outfit becomes the Washington Generals on the road, 18 and 50. But they rallied with three in the ninth to beat the Phillies last night. That helped. In the Atlanta game, the Braves got two home runs from Stephen Vogt, who hadn't homered since July. Beat Washington again a game. Lost anyway to freeze the division as is. So for the Mets, the outfield production from Wednesday night, Conforto 0 for 2, couple of walks, one intentional. Pilar was 0 for 2, Smith 0 for 4, three strikeouts. Around the Mets, infield Wednesday night, at first base, Alonzo, the aforementioned triple to push along his hit streak to 9. I want to shout out Anthony Reber of Newsday. He wrote a very thought-provoking column a couple days ago, asking, is Alonzo the next Hall of Fame New York Met? Mets have Seaver and Piazza wearing their caps on their Cooperstown plaques. Gary Carter's in the hall, but with an Expos logo. And there are lots of Mets-adjacent players in the hall. Willie Mays, Ricky Henderson, Eddie Murray, Robbie Alomar, to name a few who played for the Mets but had their best years somewhere else. There was a day you could project David Wright and Jose Reyes, his homegrown Hall of Famers, says Anthony Reber. But, of course, Wright's back betrayed him. Reyes left as a free agent, was never as good a player in his later years as he was in that first incarnation as a Met. David Wright's going to make his first appearance on the ballot in 24. Reyes will as well. Neither guy is going to get in. Carlos Beltran will be a tough one when he is on the ballot in 23. He had an amazing career, but uh, let's see where that goes. Uh, it's weird to think about it this way because of his involvement in the sign-stealing uh, scandal in Houston, that maybe that'll keep him out. But if he does get in, would he have a Mets cap on his head? The next Med who goes to the Hall of Fame with a Mets cap actually embossed on his head, DeGrom if he gets healthy again, or Alonzo if he stays these eight shades of awesome, but it's so early in his career. Anyway, rest of the Mets infield from Wednesday night. Baez, we've talked a lot about him already. Double homer steal, scored both the Mets runs. Lindor at short, 0 for 4, two punch outs. Not a good time for that. And now the batting average back down to 223. Davis 0 for 3 with a walk at third base. Here's a fun exercise in our rabbit hole for the day. Which was the best Mets infield ever? And, well, I know it won't be this one here in 2021, but I would think what jumps immediately to your mind is the one in 1999, the one that Sports Illustrated touted as the best infield ever. 
Mets had three infielders who won gold gloves at various points in their careers. They had Olerud, Ordonez, and Robin Ventura, and a fourth who should have won a gold glove, and Edgardo Alfonso. And all those guys could hit. Olerud and Alfonso were totally clutch. Ventura, uh, that year, 32 home runs, 120 runs batted in. It was almost as potent as Mike Piazza. I would put the 06 infield into this discussion. Reyes, 64 steals and 17 triples, a 300 hitter. David Wright hit 311, 26 home runs. You had Delgado at first. You had Jose Valentin in there at second base. This was the most powerful infield in Mets history, the only one in which everybody hit at least 18 home runs. If you want to make a case for 86, I'll give you that one. I mean, the usual greatness from Keith Hernandez, that's defensively and offensively. You had a totally functioning second base platoon with Backman and Tuffle. You had a steady shortstop, although he really couldn't hit, Rafael Santana, and all those big hits from Ray Knight. He had a 357 batting average with runners in scoring position, and you mix in Kevin Mitchell and Howard Johnson off the bench. Uh, 87, very similar. 1973, you might want to talk about. You had a really slick double play combo with Felix Mian and Bud Harrelson. Wayne Garrett at third. John Milner was the best hitter uh, on that team. So any of those Mets infields in the discussion, I would take any of those over the infield that the Yankees are going to roll in with tonight, which reminds us, yes, the Yankees are coming. The Yankees are coming. Tickets available for tonight and Sunday night. And yes, Sunday is one of those ESPN specials, 8.08 p.m. on Sunday. Saturday gets our attention. That should be memorable to say the least. Bobby Valentine throwing out the first pitch to Joe Torre will be among the highlights of the September 11 Remembrance Ceremony. The 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks. Mets and Yankees will wear first responder caps during BP and during the game. At least 14 members of the 01 Mets, including Piazza, are going to be on hand. First responders and 9-11 related charities will be recognized on the field. Ceremony scheduled to begin at 7 o'clock, so please be in your seats by then. Gates open at 5.10. Parking lots open at 4.10. But you know what? Forget parking lots. Because if I can tell you just one thing and use just three words to do it, take the train. U.S. Open, big Mets crowd, going to be chaos if you drive. Much smarter to take the 7 or the Long Island Railroad. It's greener, too. Your kids will think you're totally awesome for that. And there might be a mariachi band on board. It's no Mets in the Morning House band, but still, you might get that. Let's break down where those hated Yankees are as they come in. Very meaningful games for them, since there are four really good teams in their division, and only one, two, or three will make the playoffs. And there's no other way to put it. The the contrasting fortunes of the Yankees and Mets since the trade deadline they had identical records then. But since then, the Yankees are 24-13. and 13, The Mets are 16-22. and 22. Yankees had the 13-game win streak fairly recently, but right after that, they wiped out like that Yugoslavian skier they used to show at the beginning of Wide World of Sports. They went 2-9 and nine immediately after the 13-game win streak. They're still careening down the mountain right now. It's the first time something like this has happened in baseball since the 1991 Texas Rangers, managed by... Bobby Valentine, that team won 14 straight and then went 1-10. During that 13-game win streak, the Yankees had the third best slugging percentage in the majors. Since then, they are rock bottom. Joey Gallo, we just mentioned the Texas Rangers. He came over from there. He's hit 129 since coming over. 61 strikeouts and 123 at-bats. Makes Javi Baez look like Daniel Murphy by comparison. Earlier this week, the Yankees were held without an extra base hit or a walk 
Two games in a row. That hadn't happened since 1962. The pitching has been what's kept the Yankees in contention, but that situation is very iffy right now. Jonathan Loizaga is on the IL with a shoulder strain. He's been just a lights-out setup guy for them. Zach Britton's out for the year. Aroldis Chapman hasn't been reliable. They're getting great results from Garrett Cole, but he's going to miss this series. Uh, Jordan Montgomery is going to pitch. He's been very good. Tyone has looked shaky lately, and now he's parked on the IL. They still have all that star power. Gallo, Rizzo, Stanton, Judge, LeMayhew. And the thing that I'm kind of tickled by, they, they can put five players who are each at least 6'3", 240 into the lineup at the same time. Gallo, Judge, Rizzo, Stanton, Voigt. It's like playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. These guys do work the count. 4.1 pitches per plate appearance. That's best in the majors. They do tend to win close games, even though they've been walked off on home runs five times already, including the one Tim Anderson hit into the Iowa corn. But the bottom line is, two weeks ago, the prospect of three against the Bombers would have been a horror movie brand scary. Right now, it's closer to a rom-com because they are reeling. The pitching matchup tonight, you got two massive dudes grunting at each other. For the Mets, right-hander Tyler McGill, 2-4 with a 4.2 ERA. For the Yankees, the lefty Jordan Montgomery, 5-5 five five with a 3.47. McGill is 6-7-230. Montgomery stands 6-6-229. So Tyler has got him by an inch and a pound. The, the ground might shake beneath these guys tonight. And when it does, maybe Javi Baez's $200,000 earring pops back up. That would be sweet. So one more thing on today's Mets in the Morning episode. I promised yesterday I would recount some personal memories of having been the announcer on the Fox Saturday game of the week, the second to last weekend of 01. That was 18 days after the attacks on the World Trade Center, eight days after the season had resumed. The Mets were four games out with eight to go, and a win against Atlanta would have made those guys in Atlanta Sweat like Bartolo Colon in an Ecuadorian jungle. Mets were up 5-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth. Bobby V puts Armando Benitez out there to get the last three outs. And let's just say it did not end well. I was so shocked by what happened. I actually gave the wrong score signing off the year. I said the Braves won at 7-5. It was actually 8-5. Let Uncle Joshy tell you a quick little small world story. A week after that game, my final regular season assignment for Fox before the playoffs that year, I got a chance to work Cal Ripken's Major League finale, played against the Red Sox at Oriole Park. And my partner on the air for Fox Sports Net, as it was called back then, working his second ever game, Keith Hernandez. A few days after that, I was paired with Rex Hudler, the Wonder Dog, to work the uh, Cleveland-Seattle ALDS. It went the full five games. And originally, Rex and I were only supposed to work the first four games of that series. If it went five and headed back to Seattle from Jacobs Field, Fox was going to send Joe Buck and Tim McCarver because they're, they're better than I am. But neither guy wanted to do any extra flying, as I recall. Things were still very wonky, obviously, after 9-11. So in the eighth inning of Game 4 in Cleveland, a game the Indians won 17-2, word came from the network that Rex and I were to get on the Major League Baseball private plane that was headed from Cleveland to Seattle as well. That was the only way to get there, unless it was on one of the team charters. That was not going to happen. So it was me, Rex, a couple of major league officials, and Sandy Alderson, who was working for the commissioner's office then, and he needed a flight to Seattle as well. I know, none of that is super interesting, but I still remember that crazy run of travel starting with the Brian Jordan walk-off home run on that Saturday. 
The Mets, remember, had been in the World Series a year before. They were poised to make the playoffs again in 01. Who knows? Could have been a Mets-Yankees redux. Arizona ended up as a National League entrant, and of course they won it all. But anyway, when the Mets didn't make the playoffs, oh my God, the cliff that they fell off of. The 02, 03, 04, 05 Mets were not very good. And Brian Jordan's home run was the pin that popped that balloon. Not to pour tequila into an open paper cut, but I, I just want to see how much of this you remember because I went back and, and took a look at it. 5-1 lead heading into the bottom of the ninth, and I looked it up to make sure I had the sequence right. But such a face punch if you're a Mets fan. That lead had been built on a bases-clearing double by Piazza and even an RBI single from Al Leiter. They're up 5-1. to one. A win would get them to within three games with a week left to play. But Benitez and John Franco gave up the goods. The heroes were at the bottom of the batting order for Atlanta. Keith Lockhart, who walked to load the bases. Marcus Giles, who doubled in a pair of runs. Wes Helms, who walked after an intentional walk to Julio Franco. Then John Franco came on for Benitez. He walked Helms, who was a low-key Mets killer for a couple of years. That's when Jordan hit an 0-2 pitch over the wall in left center for a seven-run bottom of the ninth with the season on the line. Mets fans of a certain age remember the seven-run first allowed by former Brave Tom Glavin at the age or at the at the end of 07. But man, that seven-run ninth inning—that's what kicked the Mets into mediocrity for a span of basically five years. Now I remember John Franco threw his hat on his way into the dugout tunnel. My call on the air was: the lights have gone out in Georgia. The Mets are done. I was so cheesed off. Least networky that I've ever sounded, I think, in 16 years of doing network TV play-by-play. It was really unprofessional. I'll get over it. Uh, I got over UCLA losing at the buzzer in the Final Four to Gonzaga six months ago. I will get over Brian Jordan someday as well. And let's try to get over Jazz Chisholm, too, shall we? Music's up. Podcast over. Let's introduce the hard-working Mets in the Morning House Band that is still waiting on that Grammy nomination. Come on, Academy. Let's go. On keyboards, Neil Walker. Slapping to bass, Dan Wheeler. The horn section is Sean Markham. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, the great Ruben Tejada. This is Josh Lewin. Back at it tonight after a 4-4 four and four road trip that really should have been 7-1 and one or 6-2. and two. Onward, later, see ya. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.